Heavenly Father, we just come before you tonight, and we ask that you take each part of this service and use it to your honor and to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right. Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's get uh, right into it. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. As we're going through the, the book of Galatians, we'll just take a moment here at the beginning. Go back to Galatians chapter 1. And Paul tells us that the whole purpose is who gave himself, verse 4, for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so the, the theme of this study is to deliver us from this present evil world. Uh, some of you may remember we've had Brother Dave Hardy in a couple of times, and one of his famous sayings is, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. Uh, and, and it doesn't matter which one you end up in it, you've still had an accident, and you're not going anywhere until somebody pulls you out. And, and uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the ditch on both sides of the road. Most of the book is devoted to those who, who would try to improve... The gospel message. And uh, Paul explains to us very, uh, very uh, surely without any um, question. Uh, there's, you know, the Apostle Paul is a hard guy to misunderstand most of the time. Uh, I mean, you've got to work at it. Verse 7 says, which is not another. In verse 6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Uh, Paul says, listen, you have the truth. And he goes on in the next two verses to say, if, if he says, though we or an angel from heaven. Now, how many of you have heard stories about angels from heaven giving revelation to mankind? Uh, you know, a fellow named Muhammad in the late 500s, early 600s claimed that an angel appeared to him. Another guy named Joseph Smith said an angel appeared to him. And, and uh, I think it was David Koresh said an angel peer, appeared to him. And if you've ever heard of Ernest Angeli, uh, he said he was carried into the heavens by an angel and, and, and was told that all kinds of crazy things. And, and uh, I'll tell you what, Paul said, if an angel shows up and gives you anything but what's already written down, what you already have, he says, let him be accursed. Now, how many of you need a Greek class to understand what he means when he says, let him be accursed? Uh, uh, I mean, that is, uh, you can't get any more uh, judged of God than that. It means condemned to hell forever is what the term accursed means. And then he goes on to say, as we said before, so, is, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. You see, the gospel is not a new thing. It doesn't need to be improved. The reason why Paul was writing this letter was there were some people that had showed up at the Galatian church and they were trying to say, listen, uh, we know this, you have to remember something, Jesus was a Jew. Now, somebody, every once in a while somebody says, why do you have all those stars of David up on the pews and on the windows and... And, uh, well, this building was built as a synagogue. And uh, we're not ashamed of that. But we're not here to become Jews. And I don't think any person that is Jewish has ever walked in the building and felt like we were trying to ensnare them or, or trap them somehow, uh, trick them into becoming Christians uh, we keep it pretty plain around here. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no contradiction 
between the message of Jesus Christ and the Jewish Scriptures. Where the contradiction comes in is the traditions. It is the fact that in order to... Uh, they believe that they can please God or, or somehow uh, that they are accepted in God because they were born of Abraham. And so Paul gives us the history of the gospel... And then in chapters 3 and 4, he, he starts out with a, a very endearing term. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. Uh, and you have to remember, what did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, if you call your brother a name, if you say Raka, you'll be in danger of the council, meaning that uh, you would be in danger of being called into judgment by Jewish society because you did not use foul language at other people. It was a... It was an offense that would be judged. Oh, I wish that were true today. Uh, we have people calling each other all kinds of names. In fact, the thing that never fails to amaze me is you hear some guy going down the road and it's going boom, boom, and then you hear the words. Now, when I was a kid, if anybody called me those kind of names, my dad taught me, listen, you can't let that go by. You're not those things. And... and uh, uh, if you come home all messed up, he had better be worse than you are. Uh, uh, it reminds me of a story in the Blue Jacket Manual. An officer was walking on the deck and he heard one sailor cursing another one. He put them both on report. He said, I reported the first sailor for cursing his fellow sailor. He said, I put the second one on report because he didn't object. Therefore, there must be some truth in what the first sailor said about him. And so both of them were disciplined. Uh, and that was printed in the training manual uh, for World War II for our Navy servicemen, that little story, for their benefit. You're not supposed to do that. But here's what Jesus said. He said, who says to his brother, thou fool, is in danger of hellfire. And here we have Paul calling the Galatians foolish. This is pretty serious. We need, that's what we talk about, understanding our Bible in its proper context. Paul, Paul is not uh, uh, being kind here. He, he is being a, as harsh as he can possibly be. Because the issue at hand here is salvation. If you trust in Jesus Christ and Jewish tradition, are you really trusting in Jesus Christ? If you trust in Jesus Christ and the baptismal waters, are you trusting in Jesus? If you trust in Jesus Christ and your desire to live a good, clean, pure Christian life, where does your faith ultimately end? I've asked people this. I said, you, you've, you've, I said, the church you go to teaches that salvation is in the church. He said, no, they do not. I said, well, then stop going. Oh, I couldn't do that. Uh, why not? Because they do teach that salvation is being a member of your church. You see, I'll tell you the truth. You can walk out of this building, never come into a church again. If you're truly saved, you're going to heaven. But, if you're truly saved, why wouldn't you want to be close to the person who saved you? which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Uh, so, uh, the, the Bible has it 100% different than religion. You see, I don't come to church because I have to. Uh, we were in uh, Gouverneur, New York, for uh, Baptist Church Planners Meeting Tuesday, and uh, Andrew and I were out knocking on doors and for the church up there and met a guy. And he said, I don't believe in going to church. I, I don't like going to church. I said, well, your priest might disagree with you just a little bit. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I know he would. 
But I don't think... I said, well, the Bible says you don't have to go to church to be saved. Oh, I like that. But uh, we tried to give him the gospel. Of course, he was so full of himself, it was hard to get it in edgewise. But you, you pray for him. Uh, just pray for the man there in Gouvernor that he will read the gospel. A lot of trouble in his life. You know, people, when they have trouble, that's the last place they go is to the Bible. And it's the only place you can get help. And that's what Paul was telling the Galatians. That's why he called them foolish. And he spends those next two chapters and, and he presented argument after argument. And, and we don't have time to go through all of those tonight. But... Just suffice to say, when Paul gets down to the end of chapter 4, he says, So then, brethren, we are not the children of the bondwoman, but of the free. He says, If you stand before God in faith alone, you're not the children of bondage. You're free. And now he's going to build. Now, uh, what, what I've entitled this section is the practical working of the gospel. What he's done before is explain to us how the gospel ought to work. He's given us the theoretical, how that we are made the sons of Abraham by faith. Because if we have the same faith in the same God that Abraham had, then there is a connection there. And if we are to be the children of Abraham, we're the children of the promise. We are not under bondage. And so verse 1 of chapter 5 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now this idea of standing fast... Uh, I guess my favorite example is how many of you have ever played with crazy glue and went like this by mistake? You know what happens? That's called fast. Uh, you literally have to rip the skin to get it apart because it's been bonded. Uh, this is the root word of the word fastener. And we use fasteners to hold things together. Uh, you cannot see them, but there are literally hundreds and hundreds of fasteners all around you. They hold the walls together. They hold the ceiling up. They hold the carpet down, the pews to the floor. Uh, all of those things are fasteners. And, and fast means to be solid, to be cemented, to be... Move, not movable. And, and Paul says, I want you to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. What has He made us free from? He's made us free from the law. And we've gone over this in the weeks. Do you know that the keeping of the law never saved anybody? They have verses all through the Bible. So, what was the purpose of the law? Well, that was Galatians 3 and 4. Uh, the purpose of the law was, number one, to convict us of sin. To show us that there is no remedy in what we can do. That the only remedy is Jesus Christ. That's the term schoolmaster. Once we've learned that truth, we lay the law aside and we accept Jesus by faith. That makes me free. I've met people that say, well, I'm getting to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments. And of course, you know the first... If you ever meet somebody, ask them if they could give you the Ten Commandments. I'll promise you, they couldn't even tell you all ten. And then you tell them, if they give you all ten, you say, what about the other 603? Because there's 613 commandments, uh, that's according to the rabbis, in the Old Testament law. Are the Ten Commandments any more important than the other commandments? No, it's all the law of God. And you are under an obligation, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but here is the truth, is we are to stand fast in the liberty. Now, we get down to verse 
uh, toward the end of this passage, I think it's 12 or 13, um, uh, 13, yes, it says that we're called unto liberty, but that liberty is not for us to do whatever we want. You see, there's a reason why God calls certain things sin. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. You know what? I don't care what the sin is. How many people are killed on the highways of this country every year because somebody wasn't obeying the speed limit. Hmm? Tens of thousands. See, that's not a big deal. Well, it is when you're doing 75 miles an hour into the bridge embutment. It is a big deal. Or you cross the lane and lose control of the car and go into oncoming traffic. Somebody is going to die. How many people are killed by drunk drivers? How many people are killed with their fork? Because they ate too much. How many people die of diseases that they've caught that have been transmitted while they were sinning against God and against their families and against all of these things? You see, God calls sin, sin, because it brings death. He didn't make you free from the law so that you could go out and put yourself in bondage unto the flesh and the world. You're going to have to serve someone. That is human nature. God made us with that desire in us. And we're going to have to make a choice. And and Paul is telling the Galatians to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, do you get this? See, some people were in bondage to sin. They did things, and some, some people in this room have done things. That were addiction, things they couldn't control, things that were uh, controlling them, whether it be uh, uh, cigarettes or uh, uh, drugs of some kind or alcohol. Those kinds, those are the first thing that comes to mind. But there's all kinds of addictions, and people serve sin. And he says, now that you're free from sin in Jesus Christ. Are you now going to go to the other side of the ditch and get into the ditch of being in bondage to the law? It's the exact same wrong. You see, we're supposed to live in the freedom that Christ gives. I am not righteous because of all the things I do. I'm righteous because Jesus finished the payment on the cross. Amen? He is the one that took care of that. And so Paul is saying, listen, you got to understand something. He said, behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, this is not talking about just the act of circumcision. This is talking about submitting to the Jewish rite as part of keeping the law, as believing that somehow this act is going to move you closer to God. He said, if you think that just because you have circumcision, you're going to be closer to God, Christ isn't going to profit you anything. Because He didn't die for you to be in bondage unto the law. And he goes on, For I testify again, to every man that is circumcised, he is a debtor to do the whole law. Now, that's why I just made the statement. Uh, it's not talking about just circumcision. It's talking about part of the religious rituals to become a religious Jew. It's talking about 
this idea that if by keeping the law and keeping these traditions, I will be more of a Christian or I will be closer to God. Because here we have, he says, For I testify, he says, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Now, people love to take that verse 4 there and say, see, you can lose your salvation. Is that what Paul's talking about? Absolutely not. Paul would be contradicting other verses of Scripture. But what he's saying is, you got saved by grace. Now, you're going to lower yourself back under the law and try to work out your salvation that way. And God is not going to do it. You're not going to enjoy God's grace. You know, the most miserable person in the world is someone who is trying to earn the approval of another human being or a set of human beings. You wonder why politicians are so sad? Now, we've got a whole group in there that really don't care what anybody believes, but most politicians are trying to earn approval. And so that, which way is the wind blowing today? And, and they're moving and they're changing their beliefs so that they can please people. How would you like to be like that? And, and Paul says, listen, you've fallen. You have stepped down. You see, the people who were talking about this to the Galatian church were saying, listen, if you want the next level of Christianity, if you want to be super spiritual, this is where you need to be. You, you need to keep all the Jewish traditions. And Paul says, you're not stepping up, my friend. You're stepping down. You're stepping away from God's grace because now you're becoming dependent upon things that you do. And so, we come here to verse 5 and he begins to explain to us what it means. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Now, that there solves a lot of problems. He says, we are waiting through the Spirit for what? The hope of righteousness. You know what that means? That means that you have not yet achieved sinless perfection. I, I hate to pop your bubbles like that. I, I am sure that somebody's going to go home and Pastor said bad things about me. No, I just said the truth. People often ask, Pastor, what do I do? I'm saved, but I still sin. Hey, wait a minute. We're waiting for the hope of righteousness. We have not attained it yet, nor will we, as long as we are in this flesh. But we will attain righteousness when we stand before God, because Jesus paid it all. Jesus finished the work. Jesus has given us forgiveness. But you have to accept it by faith. And that faith is simple. It's a childlike faith. That's why Jesus said, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall in no wise enter in to the kingdom of of God. And in verse 6 it says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. Again, he's talking about both sides of the ditch. He said, Just because you were born a Gentile and you don't have any of these connections to the Jewish faith, that doesn't make you more righteous than the Jewish people who have all of these connections in this great history. He says where you need to be is 
not worrying about what I have by my physical heritage, whether it be Jew or Gentile. What I need to do is keep my eyes on Christ. You see, that's why we try to get rid of a lot of the traditions and veneers and things that people put in, in our way to take our attention off Christ. When, when you come into this church, we want your attention to be on the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Amen? Am I in the right place? Uh, we, we want you to understand that it's all about the Bible, nothing else. Because that's the only answer that we have. And he says, but faith which worketh by love. You know, love is a wonderful thing. Some people spend their whole lives trying to find it. What was that one guy... uh, William Randolph Hearst, I think it was. He had everything but a happy marriage. Or were they talking about Mr. Getty? Or uh, maybe they were talking about uh, Mary Baker, Glover, Patterson, Eddie, who founded the Christians. I mean, there's, there's people that have spent their whole lives divorce, marriage, divorce, divorce, remarriage, all of, looking for love. And they never find it. We love him, why? First John 4:19, because he first loved us. That's why we love the Lord Jesus. And that is the motivation of true Christianity. We don't do what we do to earn God's blessing. And yet so many times, We are so conditioned by false religion and human nature that when we do something wrong, well, I'm going to read an extra five chapters of my Bible today to make up for it. Uh, That doesn't work. We're waiting for the hope of righteousness, which is through faith. It's the Spirit of God that keeps us waiting and keeps us attached to Jesus Christ, even though we do not do right, we've got to understand that Jesus does not bless us because of our uh, things that we do or things that we don't do because of our heritage, but it's faith which worketh by love. He loved us. My motivation to serve Christ is not to try to repay Him, but that is a natural response. When someone truly cares for you, isn't it the easiest thing in the world to love them back? I mean, that's what marriage is supposed to be. I tell husbands, they say, well, I'm I'm not living in a very... Well, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, and you'll make it a little easier for her to put up with you. Amen? Amen. A guy, ladies, you ought to get at least an amen out of you, right? And this is what Christ has done for us. And he says here, ye did run well. You started out right. How did you get off the path? Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Now, this is a good question to ask. It's always somebody. There's always somebody out there. I remember years ago, uh, we had a couple visit our church, and and uh, they invited my wife and I over for dinner and wanted to talk to us about the church and membership. And we went over there and, and had a nice meal and we're talking. And finally, we got to the whole reason for the evening. He goes to a shelf and pulls a book off, and on the book is a picture of some man uh, that was an evangelist in America, not like Brother Clayton. Uh, He just used the title. And and he claimed that he raised the dead and healed all these people in Africa. 
And this was back before TV cameras and Internet and all of that stuff. And so, I'll tell you what, there, there was one nice thing about the good old days. It was a whole lot easier to fake stuff like that, especially if you went to Africa. And he would take a picture of the bus full of crutches and said, these are all the people that were healed in my meetings. And, and they had a picture in the book. He said, you got to see this one. He says, look at this. this. This proves that he's of God. And it had a picture of him with a halo of fire around his head. He said, you see, you can't, this was back before the days. You can't do, you, can, you can't touch up negatives. I said, listen, they've been touching up pictures since the glass plate days. How many of you even know what a picture on a glass plate is? Uh, that goes back to the Civil War. Uh, in fact, they found greenhouses made up of picture plates from the Civil War because they took so many pictures, nobody wanted them. And, and uh, uh, you know, some guy finds them and tries to restore them, but uh, he was following this guy. I said, you've got to be crazy. He says, you've got to be crazy not to want to follow this guy. I said, that's the difference. I said, we want the Bible. I said, you can have your guy. I said, I want nothing to do with him. A few years later, a guy came up to me, and he was just frothing at the mouth. He was so angry. He says, I'm never coming back to your church. I wanted to correct him. It's not my church. I'm just the preacher here. Uh, he says, you put too much emphasis on the Bible. I said, well, if I ever heard a good reason to leave our church, that is it. See you later. I, I didn't even feel bad about it. I said, we're not going to change that. Here's why. Because there's always someone out there that will pull you off the path. It doesn't have to be some cult leader. But you better watch out. There are people out there, and it says, This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. He said, This idea that, uh, that you're going to be more of a Christian by physical things you do, didn't come from God. The reason we do things, and a Christian ought to, read the book of Titus, Titus chapter 3 and verse 8, we ought to be careful to maintain good works. But do we do good works so that we can get God's favor? Or do we do good works because we have the love of God living in us and we have no choice but to do good works? You see the difference between the two. You see, I don't do good things to earn God's blessing. I do good things because the Holy Spirit of God is already living in me. This is the working of the gospel. And this is the only way you will be delivered from this present evil world in which we live. How many times have you thought, I've read my Bible today, I, I, I've prayed, I just feel strong. I feel good today. And go out and fall on your face. Now, how many of you have done that? Just raise your hand. Come on, we can be honest in church. You know why we do that? Because we fell from grace that day. We exchange God's grace for our works and we lose. Every time we lose. What we need is grace by faith. That's how you got saved. That's how you're going to live every day. That's how you're going to deal with people that you don't want to deal with. That's how you're going to live in a world full of sin and hurt. And so, we, we move on here, and, and he says in verse 9, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. How many of you have ever made bread? I mean, I, I love to make bread. That's on our family holidays. Everybody's got something they do. And my, my job is to make the rolls. 
I don't do quite as good as my mother did, but I'm, I'm working on it. And uh, you put the yeast, just two teaspoons of yeast, make a whole great big loaf of bread. It doesn't take much yeast, leaven, to leaven a whole loaf of bread. It doesn't take much poison to kill you. If my wife, which makes excellent cornbread, decided just to add a few ounces of arsenic to the batter, You know what? Anybody that ate that cornbread would be in big trouble now, wouldn't they? But I'm, I'm, it's 99% pure. And sometimes if you're walking through the aisle at the Home Depot or someplace like that, look at the pesticides. Just turn it over and look what it says. It'll say, uh, this is guaranteed to kill the mice and all of this. Active ingredients, 0.0002% or something like that. Uh, there is so little poison in there that the mice can't even taste it. Well, that's the goal. Uh, we, we want to feed them those kinds of things so they'll go away, right? And Paul's saying it doesn't take much. To change the entire scope of the gospel. He says you can't accommodate people who want to live by the law. And, and we're, he's going to go to that in just a moment and give an illustration from his own life. But first he says, I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. Now, Paul is not there at Galatia. He hasn't been there for a very long time. He was only there for a few uh, weeks in different cities. Left the churches, came back and visited them again for just a few weeks and, and that's all that Paul had with them. And now he hears this troubles going on. And so he is writing this letter. But one of the things he doesn't, he doesn't know the name of the troublemaker. But he said, there's somebody there that's causing problems in the church. There's somebody there that's teaching these things. There's somebody that wants to decide their own type and level of Christianity. And in this case, it was calling them back to Judaism. Uh, in some cases, I, I've been in churches where somebody will get in their mind that uh, all the women have to wear hats or have a head covering or something. And they'll go on and they'll go off on that until they end up leaving the church and going out and having a church in their house because it's the only place they can find where they have somebody that agrees with them and that's themselves. You know, you have to be careful where you're going with this stuff. It will take you places you don't want to go. It will take you away from the truth. And Paul says, listen, I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. You know, that's a pretty nice way of saying, I'm trusting in the Lord for you that He's going to straighten out your head. That He's going to get your thinking turned around because... What I am teaching you is the truth. And if you deviate from that, you have deviated from the truth and you no longer have truth. And he says, but this guy that's causing the problems, I'm confident that God's going to find him and put his finger on him. That he's going to bear his judgment. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't take long to watch these things happen. It always takes a little longer than we think. But when someone starts discipling to themselves, when someone starts trying to pull people away, you can trust. If you want to get in trouble, you just mess with God's church. And we've, we, I, I've lived long enough to see this thing happen. And I, I'm just, 
uh, you trust the Lord. And in verse 11, he says, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the, Christ, of the cross ceased. I would that they were even cut off, which trouble you. Now, what we have here is a very unusual thing. These people who were trying to drag people back into Judaism were using the Apostle Paul as their example. If you'll remember in Acts chapter 16, uh, Paul... uh, Well, let's just turn there very quickly. Acts chapter 16... It says, Then came he, Paul, to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And so, people knew this story. This was done as a testimony for Timothy not to offend uh, the Jewish believers in the area because Timothy was half Jew and half Greek. And Paul is saying, listen, if I preach circumcision, which they say that I do, then why are these same people persecuting me? Paul's persecution came primarily from Jewish people, did it not? I mean, if you read through the book of Acts, uh, we only have the story of Alexander and and the silversmiths in the city of Ephesus. Uh, But the Jews were involved in that thing too at one point. And, and Paul's main persecution had come from Jewish people. Paul says, if they hate me so much and they persecute me so much, how in the world is it that they appeal to me for preaching the circumcision? Something's wrong here. You can't have it both ways. And Paul says, I wish they were just cut off that trouble you. I wish that... He's making a very human sediment here. I wish God would just go boom and these people were gone. But you know what? That's not the way God works most of the time. In fact, find out in other Gospels that God says there's going to be some of these people rise up right here so that you will have to make a choice between what is true and what isn't true. See, if you're going to stand for God, it's just going to be you and God. Amen? It's got to be. But the neat thing about church is that there are other people doing exactly the same thing. And the neat thing about a church that believes that way is there are other churches that believe that way. And we get to fellowship and work together to see the gospel carried out. And this is a relationship that we have, and yet there's no physical presence, no council of apostles, no uh, superintendent or anything to set this thing going. Each person in each church is responsible to Christ. And these churches will work together because they serve the same Christ. And so... Paul is uh, struggling here. He's saying, listen, you need to understand that these people are not, even though they appeal unto what I did so that I wouldn't offend uh, the Jewish people in the area. And guess what? I think there's a lesson to be learned here. Accommodation never works. You can't accommodate people. I remember one time we had a guy come in and he said, uh, I'm going to be baptized. I said, well, you've got to get saved first. He said, well, I'm saved. But do you baptize in the name of the Father? I said, uh, 
We baptize, just like the Bible says, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. No, no, you got to do it three different times. I said, you know something? I said, you go find a church that agrees with you. Uh, I think baptized once in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost is quite sufficient. And, and that has been the practice of our church and every Baptist church I know. Uh, I said we have some Anabaptist churches hundreds of years ago that baptized three times. The Dunkards uh, who survived to about the 1900s. Remember Brother Clayton talking about them. Uh, uh, they baptized you three times face forward. Uh, but there are no Dunkards today. The, the, the movement's gone. Baptized once in the name of the... Uh, we don't have other traditions. We're not interested in accommodating. What we're interested in is serving Christ together. And so, one more little bit here, and, and we'll finish this section. It says... Verse 13 through 15, let's just read it together. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. So, what we have here is Paul is giving the struggle, the back and forth of how the gospel by faith works versus bondage under the law. And he says, listen, this is the freedom. You see, some people, if, if you're getting to heaven, I don't know how else to explain this, if you're trying to get to heaven by doing good works then you need other people's failures so you can have an opportunity to do good works. Does that make sense to everybody? I know you, have, you don't think about it that way very often, but that is what has to happen. You, you need other people to have problems, otherwise you don't have opportunity to do good works. So here I am taking advantage of your problem so that I can earn points with God in heaven. Now, is there anything more corrupt... That almost sounds like a democratic plan for taxation, doesn't it? Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know how you can get more, more corrupt or more evil than taking advantage of someone else's problems and pain. But you see, if by love I can serve another person, I don't need their problem to make me better to God because He made me better. I'm waiting on the hope of righteousness by faith. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. doesn't mean you're perfect. But what it does mean is, I'm not worried about my salvation. So my mind and my conscience is free to actually reach out and help someone, even if they don't want help back. Even if they uh, don't want the help that you give, I can still give it. Because I'm not dependent upon their response. I'm just trying to be faithful. But when I meet another Christian, there ought to be that reciprocal love because the Holy Spirit that's living in them is the same Holy Spirit that's living in me. Amen? That, that's what he's talking about here. And he says, if you get in these petty arguments, and of course you know what was going on in the Galatian church as the group who were believing that they needed to keep Jewish tradition and, and become Jewish in their life so that they could be more Christians, were looking down their nose at the other ones who, who weren't, and they were having arguments between the two. And Paul says, that's not the way it's designed to be. We're supposed to serve each other with love. And we're going to get to where that love comes from. It doesn't come from you. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit of God. It's a fruit. Meaning, if the Holy Spirit is in you, He's going to produce that. It doesn't come from you. 
It's not in you. It's in God who happens to be in you. That's the end of chapter 2. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, it's not based on what I do. It's based on what Jesus has done. That frees me from the law. That frees me from things I have to do so that I can do things that are based on the Bible with the truest and most wonderful motivation of all. Love. See, you can be in bondage to religion or you can be in bondage to sin. You're still in bondage, my friend. If you want freedom from bondage, You have to have faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that alone, that's how you get saved. And by the way, that's how you walk every day till Jesus comes for us. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we just simply want to ask you to help us in our church. Lord, we're thankful that we don't have anyone trying to come into our church and teach a different standard of righteousness or a work salvation. But Lord, we ask that you would help us to stand fast in that liberty that you've given us. And Lord, we would not use that liberty to serve ourselves. But we would use that freedom to be able to love one another. Lord, we ask you to work in each heart. And Lord, if there's one here that's not saved, we ask that tonight would be at least a step closer to salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. And we'll keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you need to come and pray, the altar's open.